From the Financial Times in London, I'm Josh Noble and this is FT News. Several young activists who oppose China's control over Hong Kong have been elected to the territory's legislature in a sign of growing anger with Beijing. One of those elected was the 23-year-old former student protest leader Nathan Law, who has vowed to bring a new vision for the democratic movement in the territory. On the line with me to discuss the rise of this group of young politicians is Ben Bland, one of the FT's correspondents in Hong Kong. Ben, let's start by finding out a bit more about the legislature in Hong Kong, LegCo as it's called. Who's in it? How do people get in there? What power does it have? Well, the Legislative Council, or LegCo, as it is popularly known, is the main parliamentary body for the 7 million people who live in Hong Kong. And it has certain powers to propose legislation, to amend legislation, but it's also limited. Hong Kong is effectively ruled by a chief executive who is appointed by Beijing. So there's a kind of separation of powers, but there are limits to what it can do. The ministers, for example, are all chosen by the chief executive. And these elections happen for the LegCo once every four years. It's a partially democratic system. So 40 of the 70 seats are chosen by popular election but 30 of the 70 seats are chosen by what they call functional constituencies, which are a collection of business and trade lobby groups, mostly loyal to Beijing, who vote by industry. So, for example, in the travel sector, various travel companies get a corporate vote. So El Al, the Israeli airline, has a vote. The Vanuatu National Travel Agency, which has an office in Hong Kong, has a vote in in financial services, HSBC, AIG, etc., have corporate votes. So it's a body that represents partly the will of the Hong Kong people and partly the will of business interests who are mostly pro-Beijing. So these elections, this was an expression of the will of the Hong Kong people. What do the results tell us about the sort of political climate in Hong Kong at the moment? In the broader sense, there hasn't been a shift in the relationship between those who want to maintain the good ties with Beijing and those who want to see true democracy in Hong Kong. But the shift has really been within the democratic camp, if you like, where it's split in two and a whole new series of candidates have been elected who are promoting what they call self-determination for Hong Kong. They want to see a civic referendum where people can vote on the future of Hong Kong and potentially move towards independence. And that movement for independence or greater self-determination for Hong Kong has really come from nowhere. Two years ago, no one was really talking about it. To some extent, it was a taboo. To some extent, it was considered to be a totally ridiculous idea. And now we've seen six young political activists who all want to see some form of self-determination or even independence elected. So that's six out of the 40 who were popularly chosen, and in total, six out of the 70 who will now have a platform in this legislative body to advocate their views and really to irritate Beijing. Because I think we have to remember that for China any perceived threat to its sovereignty, to the oneness and unity of China is really anathema to the Communist Party and something that they regularly try to clamp down on, whether it's in Xinjiang, whether it's in Tibet, in Taiwan or in Hong Kong. When you say two years ago some of this was unthinkable, what's happened in those last two years that have brought us to this point? 
Well, I think the key starting point is really the Occupy protests or the Umbrella Movement, as it became known. Um, this began almost exactly two years ago when various of these student protesters, including some of the guys who've just been elected, um, went out to occupy large swaths of downtown Hong Kong. And they, at that time, were demanding that Beijing give Hong Kong democratic elections for the chief executive position. So they were pushing for change, but very much within the existing system. They were attempting to pressure Beijing to make concessions within the agreed one country, two systems arrangement, which was agreed between the British and the Chinese before the handover and that movement obviously failed after about three months the protesters were moved off the street and Beijing as many predicted didn't concede anything and at that time I think most people thought the movement was a failure that was that but what we've seen since then is that Beijing which was very upset by the protests they saw it as a foreign influence plot to destabilize China has really cracked down quite hard in Hong Kong on freedom of speech, on political issues more generally, and that sort of engaged a, a counter-reaction from young people in particular, but also other Hong Kongers, which has really fueled the spread of this movement for greater autonomy, and it's really been accelerated in the last few months, when the Hong Kong government, acting under pressure from Beijing, has tried to ban people from even talking about independence. They tried to ban candidates from discussing it in six people who were meant to be standing were blocked from doing so because they were accused of promoting independence and that really seems to have backfired and helped these six candidates who were allowed to stand to get over the line. So is that sort of typical of the establishment's response then is trying to sort of shut out the most extreme or as they see it the most radical voices from this movement? More generally for China under Xi Jinping compromise is not a word that is discussed or put into practice very often. If you look at China's relations with Taiwan, China's relations with Southeast Asian neighbours, generally the perception from the Chinese government is that the problems there are in terms of the bilateral relationships are caused by those countries, and it's usually come about because China has in the past shown weakness to those places, and so the only way that China can resolve the problem of these fractious small nations or small parts of China like Hong Kong is to take a harder and harder line. So I think that's what's been coming out of Beijing, and that's set the tone. So when the Hong Kong government has been trying to react, they've tried to take a tough line too, which they presume is what their masters in Beijing would like. But it's, it really seems to have backfired in the Hong Kong context, simply because people still do have a fair degree of freedom of speech here and freedom of action. So when they're pushed, they're pushing back even harder, and they still have the space for now with these partially democratic elections to do so. So Hong Kong people are pushing back, but, I mean, is there any chance that they'll get anywhere? Greater autonomy, greater democratic reform, or are they basically stuck with the system as it is? Well, it's interesting because the rise of the greater autonomy movement was driven by the failure of Occupy. So there's a dynamic flow to these movements. Sometimes despair leads to new hope, sometimes it doesn't. I think it's very hard to predict because two years ago no one would have thought that anyone would be talking about independence, let alone that you'd have six people who are clearly sympathetic to independence elected to a legislature in what's effectively a region of China. But of course, Beijing is going to try and shut down discussion and it's almost impossible to see how they would ever allow it to happen. 
But I think the guys who've been elected are keen to use their new platform and the resources they have now to try and encourage more people to fight for Hong Kong's rights, to fight for the freedoms in Hong Kong, and to try and build some sort of what they would say is a national identity in Hong Kong. And I'd say it looks unlikely that they can get political independence, but I think they're certainly going to be fighting to win over the battle in public opinion, and they've actually done a pretty good job in that respect, as the election shows. So the fight in Hong Kong goes on. Ben, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Josh. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.